uh, yeah, thank you. Rick to the rescue again. Another one of the hats he wears around here. This morning we uh, are continuing on with our series that we started a few weeks ago, talking about why gather, why bother. Why do we gather together as the church on Sunday mornings uh, when we gather here? Talking about how this benefits us, how it benefits our relationship with our Lord, how it blesses us in the church, but also how it makes a place for mission, how we encourage one another in mission. If you remember, uh, it was actually two weeks ago now that we were starting and we were talking about Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. And we were looking at this passage specifically, and we're talking, or we learned about how Jesus is our high priest, that he is a sacrifice that has made a new and living way for us. And we talked some about how gathering is good, how when we gather, not only do we uh, grow in our relationship, we draw near to God, so gathering together on Sunday morning is a great opportunity to come to sing praise to him, to pray to him, to hear his word as a way to draw closer to God. But also we talked some too about how gathering on Sunday uh, reestablishes a rhythm of rest in our lives. That we live in a culture that is constantly going all the time. How can I squeeze one more thing in this week? And yet we gather on Sunday mornings to praise God. And hopefully that can be a great set to the day or a great start to the day where we go home and we rest. We take rest in the Lord and, and take a break from our work. But also too we talked too about how it becomes a practice as a way to please our Lord, um, as a spiritual discipline, if you like, or a spiritual practice where we, there's so many things that we could be doing on Sunday mornings. There's brunches, there's, uh, in the summer, there's camping trips in the fall, there's all sorts of things that we could be doing, weekends away. And yet if we say that, Lord, I want to make it a spiritual practice to bless you, to honor you, to praise you, as a way to show that I put you as a priority in my life, it's a great way for us to do that on Sunday mornings as we gather. Well, this morning we're going to be broadening our scopes on and talking about how not only does our relationship with the Lord grow, but when we gather on Sundays, we also, our relationship with each other grows. And if you see this, this bowl of coals here, uh, two weeks ago when we talked about, when we began this series, we, many of you have heard this series, or the, the parable of um, why is it important for us to go to church? And the way I always heard it was uh, a, a men's group is sitting around a fire and one of the guys asked the pastor who happens to be sitting with them, why is it so important? Why do we need to gather on Sunday mornings? You know, can't I just worship the Lord on my own? And uh, the pastor quietly takes one of the coals out of the fire and you can see the coal is burning red and all of a sudden it starts to go gray and dark. And then he takes the coal and he scoops it back into the fire, back into the coals, and it begins to grow red again. And he says, our lives or our faith is often like this coal. When we separate from each other, when we go off and do our own thing, our faith can begin to cool and turn gray. And it's interesting, I was thinking about it actually just this morning, how when I hear this parable, I've always associated with the coal that gets taken out. And that's some, that, goes, that kind of fits with what we were talking about two weeks ago. When we stop gathering together to worship the Lord, our faith can cool. Not that we stop believing, but that our faith kind of begins to take a lower priority in our lives. But it's interesting, I was thinking about it this morning, is that um, to associate more with the group of the red-hot coals, that one of the reasons why we gather together is not just for our, to keep our faith growing hot, is to be a growing or a hot, um, grow, a glowing red place so that when the people who are gray, who, who have been um, maybe fallen away from their faith or they have um, 
put God at the wrong priority, when they do return, they have a hot place to join back into. I'm sorry, I'm kind of, I wonder if that's making sense, is that um, oftentimes I've associated with the coal that's, that leaves, but this morning I'm associating with a group of coals that stay together. That by us being here, we don't know who maybe has come this morning who is looking to renew their faith, who is saying, I feel God drawing me, I need to come on Sunday. And the fact that we have a place here for them to gather and meet, a place where they can join in, uh, totally anonymous if they want to, no one's going to ask them, how's your faith today necessarily, but they can gather in with a group of glowing, uh, red-hot Christians, people who are praising God genuinely. They can just join in. They don't have to come, they can just join in. So I'm thinking about this parable today. And the thing is, the more I think about uh, why we gather, the more I'm convinced that gathering together is good. It helps us love one another. When we gather together as a church, it helps us to love one another. Um, Because we all need encouragement. We all need encouragement. And maybe you don't need encouragement today, but I tell you, there are people here today who do. And so for us to gather together to be here when other people need encouragement. The trouble is we have a consumer tendency. It feeds into our, it comes out of our selfishness. Our culture is just, it, it, like Rick was talking about how they cultivate and snip the, the tomato plants. Our culture is constantly cultivating the consumer in us. Constantly playing to it. And so it can be easy for us to think about church in terms of, our church gathering, in terms of, you know, I really like the music today. Or, oh, I didn't really like the music. Those weren't my favorite songs. Or, I really loved what Jason said today. Or, I didn't really like the way he preaches. Or we can think about how, what's in it for us. Or we can think about, boy, I sure liked how people cared for me today. It was perfect. You know, that perfect level of care that we love, you know, enough when we need it, but not so much that people get into our lives, you know, just that perfect right amount of care. We can begin to look at church like a consumer. Did it serve me just the right way? Well, as I'm thinking about this passage, as I've been thinking about Hebrews, I've been reflecting on this, I started asking, how often do we gather on Sundays thinking, man, I think God was really pleased today. I can just tell people, I, as I look to my right and left, people were genuinely worshiping, regardless of what the music was. People were genuinely worshiping God. I think God was pleased. Or not only that, but rather than thinking like, people cared for me so perfectly, what if we went home thinking, you know, I had a great opportunity to bless someone today, to listen to them, to pray with them, to be a blessing to them. Or how many times do we go home thinking, you know, I got there early and I helped make coffee for people and I could tell the people loved the coffee. They never said thank you. They never patted me on the back. They did no cartwheels, but I know that they enjoyed the coffee and it helped them as they talked with other people. How often do we look at church like that? That look at Sunday morning gathering like that for what we contribute rather than what we get out of it. Some of you may have, be having these same thoughts too. I'm wondering, how do we cultivate a rich and healthy community? How do we cultivate a community that seeks to give more than it receives? When so much of our culture looks at life the other way around. 
how much our culture looks at a way to see how much to make sure that I'm receiving more than I give. How countercultural it is for us, how prophetic it is for us to gather together more for the sake of the church than for us. How do we cultivate a community we, where we are a blessing or a fountain of blessing? A, a blessing bubbles up and pours out of us rather than a settling pond of blessing where blessing goes to die, whether it goes to sink to the bottom. How do we become a fountain of blessing? So let's take a look at this morning um, at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. If you would uh, read it with me, if you want to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19, or it's also in your bulletins as well. Read this together with me. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have great priests over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And this is the part we're going to be focusing on this morning. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray together that we hear this word today. Holy Spirit, we pray for your help. We pray for your word to speak to us. I pray for help, Lord, as I preach. I pray, Lord, that you would grow us in our understanding of your word and what it means to follow you. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So we gather together. We gather together to love one another and to love one another better. Because we have abilities to do this, and it's not totally beyond us, but we gather together helps us love one another better. As I studied, I found, and I was focusing on verse 24 and verse 25. So we're going to kind of go through it piece by piece. It says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And the part I want to focus on here is, let us consider how we may spur one another on. Especially the idea of one another. In the, Old, in the New Testament, one another, is, there's, there's actually a whole section of scholars have looked at the one another sayings of the New Testament. And I was thinking about this, how one another, this, this idea of one another, is mutually beneficial to one another. There's a mutuality to it. And I was thinking about, too, how it kind of keeps in balance of what we give and what we receive. That it's okay to receive from the group, from help from one another, especially if you're hurting, especially if your heart is broken or you're struggling. It's okay to come and to receive help. But it's also, for most of us, most of the time, good for us to be here to encourage others, 
that we're here to give rather than to receive. The one another means not only are we spurring one another on, but from time to time we are being spurred on. It's mutual. We bless others, they bless us. We challenge others, they challenge us. It's a two-way street. And I was thinking about this, is that true community, it includes us, but it's not about us. Do you understand the difference? True community includes us. All of us are included in true community. But it's not about any one of us. We are part of something bigger than ourselves, which is so different than what our culture says all the time. Our culture is constantly trying to convince us that it's all about us. We gather as the church around the Lord Jesus Christ and we realize that it includes us, but it's not about us. So often we get preoccupied with this question of what about me? And most of us, most of the time, we come here and we are in a place where we can give, where we can bless others. We have more to give than we need to receive. Now it's true, there are times, and I'm sure all of us feel it at times, when we come and we need help. And I pray that this place, this community that gathers here is a place of refuge and help. But the rest of the time, I pray that we as a church are looking for ways to bless others in our church, to be giving more than we receive. Now some of us, well, I should say some of us, some of you are gifted at not um, being selfish. Others are like me, where it's not natural. I think about myself. I have no trouble thinking about myself. But this is a place for us to do just that, to go beyond ourselves, to go beyond as a spiritual practice to bless others. I was thinking about this in terms of a spiritual practice, of putting down our selfishness. The times we have those questions, that question that rises, what's in it for me? To set down that question, to purposely set down that question and take up the question of how may I bless others? So we gather on Sunday morning and rather than hoping that they play my favorite songs or the kind of worship music I like, is that we gather looking for ways to bless people. To bless someone who walks in and you can just tell they barely made it today. Lord, help me to see them and to bless them. Help me to see them and to care for them to give more than I receive? How can I contribute to this church family more than I take out? Now I want to be careful because some of you might be here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, Jason, my tank is empty. I feel like I barely made it here today. And and I want to encourage you to come, to receive care, receive help. Let this church bless you. But for the rest of us, where life is more in its normal place, for us to be looking for ways that we can contribute, that we can bless others more than we receive. So let's consider how we might spur one another on. This is on toward love. And this is love, this is not just fuzzy, warm fuzziness, warm fuzzy feelings of love. This is tangible love. How can we tangibly love 
people in this church family. But it's interesting, I, you know, in the New Testament, it talks about, you know, Jesus talked about, if we love our family, if we love people who are around us or like us, it's not very, it's not very impressive. Even sinners do that. Even others do that. You don't need Jesus in your life to love the people who love you back. But to love people who the rest of the world despises. To love people who are difficult to love. That takes the Holy Spirit. So let us be known for loving people who are difficult to love. For loving people who aren't just like us. I was thinking of an example of this is Mother Teresa. She is a household name. She is known around the world. Not because she was an eloquent speaker, not because of her amazing stature, because she loved people who were unlovable. She loved people who the rest of the, uh, the culture there despised and hated. She loved them. Let us learn from that, that we would love those who are difficult to love. So he says, let us spur one, and on, one another on towards love and towards good deeds. In the Kootenays, I still think, from my experience, action speaks louder than words. And if we lead with words, there might be a few places where people are really interested in what we have to say, especially when it comes to Jesus. But by and large, I find that it's more when I bless someone again and again, when I care for them when no one else does, or when I come through from them, through for them when they didn't expect it, that's when they become interested in my faith. That's when I start talking, or when I have the ability to start talking about Jesus and what he's done for life, in my life, and they actually care. Actions in our community speak louder than words. The difficulty is it still can be discouraging, right? Maybe you've had that experience where, man, I've been praying for this person. I bless them like a couple times a week, and they still don't seem to get it. It can be discouraging. We need this group here to gather to encourage us in that. To say, keep going, keep blessing them. Even if they never quite come around, for it takes years longer, we need this group to encourage one another. Imagine. Imagine what it begins to look like as we spur one another on towards love and good deeds even more than we already do. Because it's our natural state. We, we push for a while, we desire to bless people and do amazing things, and it exhausts us, and then we kind of slip back. Our circle kind of shrinks in and become less concerned with others. Let us encourage each other to keep blessing people. And it says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. This is something that is happening in the church across North America and in the Western world. People are gathering together to worship less and less. Even in our church, even in this church family, people are gathering less and less often to worship. In the 50s, most of Canada gathered on Sunday to worship. Today, most do not. It has completely switched. Jeff and Jesse and I, we talk about this pretty regularly on Tuesday mornings. We pray for our church. As we both talk about, or all three of us talk about, how things have changed 
like in the statistics now, they say that someone who comes once every six weeks, this is the new statistic, considers themselves a regular attender. Can you imagine if you miss one week? Or so if you miss your one time? It's like 12 weeks. It's three months. Things are changing. And then I know, it's, I know people who come irregularly. And it's not because they've stopped believing. I would have to say it's because of a change in priorities. It's hard for me to say. There's people I know who I love, some who aren't here today. It's a change in priorities. Then we make it a priority, a spiritual practice to gather with the church, whether it's Sunday morning as we do here or Sunday night as some churches do. But when we make it a priority to gather with the church, it blesses other people. It's difficult. We live, I've been um, uh, learning and watching movies. Um, One of them was just Silence uh, by Martin Scorsese. I mentioned it a few weeks ago about Jesuit missionaries to Japan. I've been reading another book called uh, The Insanity of God that uh, a friend of mine recommended. And it talks about what it's like to be in places where your faith, where you are persecuted for following Jesus. And things are changing here, but we are not persecuted in Canada. It's maybe becoming harder than it was 30 years ago to be a Christian. And we have to put up sometimes with condescending looks from people. But we're not persecuted we can still come to church as we desire or not. Being a Christian can be an accessory to your life rather than a central commitment. It can be a hobby in our culture still rather than a way of life. Let us encourage one another to gather. It's interesting because in the the Greek text, I don't want to get into it, but basically, I think when he's saying, let us encourage one another, in the English text it just says, let us encourage one another. I think actually what it means is let us encourage one another to keep meeting together. There's some parallelism. If you're interested in it, I can show you, but it's kind of difficult to explain in a sermon. But um, I think he's actually saying, not just let us encourage one another generally, he's saying let us encourage one another to keep meeting together. So I want to be careful that we don't get into legalism where I think there was a time in the church when people assumed your health or how healthy your faith was as long as you came to church on Sunday, regardless of what you did the rest of the week. But at the same time, I don't want to go too far the other way where it's just cheap grace, where I hear people say like, oh yeah, uh, I'm not going to be at church on Sunday because my friend is having a really great party. And... And I, me, I just used to say, oh, well, great, good, hope you have a good time. Oh, I don't think I'm going to say that anymore. As I've been studying this passage, I'm feeling convicted to say, you know what, the parties are great, but gathering with your church family is more important. And it's hard to say. I even find myself struggling to say it even to you, my brothers and sisters who are all gathered here, who've made this a priority to gather here. We live in a culture where nobody wants to say what our priority should be. We're so afraid of legalism 
or forcing people to be here that we, or at least I, feel like I'm afraid to say it's important for us to gather on Sundays. Not just for ourselves, though we talked about that two weeks ago about our relationship with God, how it stays bright, how it burns stronger when we gather on Sundays, but also for the sake of everyone else who's gathered in this room next to you. It's important for us to gather. It's important for us to make this the priority. Even when it's a beautiful weekend and it's going to be a perfect weekend to go camping, that we make a point to gather. Maybe, and maybe like when we travel, maybe it's not, obviously, if you're traveling somewhere, you can't meet with this church. But you can go somewhere else and you can meet with the church there as a spiritual practice. Say, Lord, I prioritize you. You are that important in my life that I'm going to find a way to gather with your church. Let us not forsake meeting together. And then there's this last part where he says, and all the more as you see the day approaching. In the first century, they were expecting Christ's return any moment. And how much more do we see it today, the day approaching? And I was talking with uh, a friend of mine, and she was saying, you know, I think things are getting worse. And I remember saying uh, just a few weeks ago, I said, um, I don't know, maybe it's just the relative. Like we hear more in the news, you know, 50 years ago, 100 years ago. Um, you didn't hear every little, uh, not every little, I shouldn't say little. You don't hear about every catastrophe that is happening in the world like they do now in the 24 news cycle. But then I was reading another statistic, actually, from Christianity Today that said that there's increased 400% more natural disasters since 1980. Natural disasters are increasing. Not only that, but human disasters, war, genocide, terrorism, are increasing as well. Let us encourage one another as we see the day approaching. <clears throat> and I had a great, Walter and I were talking about this on Wednesday when we gather for prayer. And this is going to be just a shameless uh, invitation. If you'd like to gather for prayer on Wednesdays, please do, 8.30 right here. We gather and we pray for the church. But Walter and I were talking about this and he had a great analogy. He said oftentimes we think of uh, the day approaching as in the end of time. We're all heading towards this, for lack of a better word, this cliff. And it's someday out there in the future. And Walter had a great point. It's actually more like the tracks run alongside the cliff. That the kingdom of God is imminent. The day is right next to us. And one day it will break in. And I pray that it is soon to fix this broken world. But it's not way off in the future out in front. It's right next to us, ready to break in. Let us consider how we can spur one another on to love and good deeds. Gathering together helps us. Helps us love one another better and to spur each other on. And I just wanted to um, stop with this image to conclude here. (laughs) Not because they're cute. Maybe some of you think they're cute. Actually, because of the the thing I was thinking about penguins. I was actually um, preparing for this week and talking about how important it is for us to gather together. And I think of penguins. These penguins, these are emperor penguins, they live in the South Pole. And when they have um, fathers take care of the eggs, they hold them on their feet and they incubate the eggs while the the mothers go to the sea and fish and and survive. It's in the darkest part of the winter. Um, The temperatures are negative 50 or less. Winds up to 200 kilometers an hour, 
Essentially, the kind of weather, if you didn't have something covering your skin, it would freeze in a few seconds. And yet these penguins thrive there. But you know how they do it? By relying on each other. If a penguin decided, you know what? I'm tired of the flock. I'm just going to go it on my own. I don't really need the group. I feel warm enough already. Like I can feel, I feel good. I'm just going to go do my own thing for a while. Or I'm going to miss this week. It would freeze. And yet when they gather together, not only do they survive themselves, but they keep their eggs warm. And it's interesting how they do it. How, it, how they circulate. There's this constant circulation. Is the penguins from the outside are constantly moving towards the center. And at the same time, the, the penguins in the center are constantly uh, rotating out towards the edges. Some of us are here today and we need help. We need to be moved towards the center, to be comforted, to be kept warm. But most of us are here today. We are plenty warm. And we need to keep shuffling to the outside to care for those who are in the center, those who need to be in the center. There's a great analogy for community and how it works, or when it's working well, how, how great it can be. That we, like penguins, keep moving those who are needing help to the center. Keep moving our way out of the center. Once we've had our time, once we've warmed up, we start looking for a way to come to the outside to make room for someone else to move in, to be kept warm, to be cared for. Let us consider how we can spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not forsaking meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another to keep gathering together and all the more as we see the day approaching. Hmm. <laughs> no, because you cook it forward one. Thanks. I wanted to ask you guys, from your experience, why is gathering so important? Why is it so important for us to gather together?